welcome back everyone and welcome to Love Forge. Here is Doc and I'm very grateful to have you all here. But before we're about to start this episode, I would just like to encourage you to consider voting if you haven't done so. I know on the left side of politics there are often polemics about voting. There are a bunch of people that believe it is ineffective, but I do believe that right now there is something bigger at stake in the United States of America and even further beyond the borders of the United States. And maybe voting is actually what should happen right now, even for those of us that haven't been convinced that voting is the right way forward. We at BLA and at Left Porch, we stand by voting. And we believe it is important to cast your vote and to exercise your democratic rights. We don't believe it is the only way that you can produce change. And we actually tend to go against this belief that just by voting, something will change society. Maybe the leadership will change, maybe some ideas. But we, the people, we the people, need to come together and do more than just voting. Organizing, going to the streets, starting publications, fighting big tech, fighting this and fighting that, in order to make the society better for all of us. I believe people are usually afraid of change, and they are afraid of challenging their beliefs. But we need to do it if we care about, not only about ourselves, but also about the future of our society. And quoting my friend Livia, we own something to the other people of society. So please, enjoy this podcast. Put on your seatbelt, relax in your chair, take your coffee, take your tea, and just enjoy. Because it's our pleasure to make them and deliver them to you on a weekly basis. See you later. to the part two episode of our conversation with ROC Music City. Did I say this right? Rock Music City? It is. It's Restaurant Opportunity Center Music City, which is an affiliate of, of Rock United um, that was started in New York City after 9-11 to help restaurant workers after that catastrophe. Well, okay. I always have the fear that I will always say the name wrong because sometimes I just think it's R-O-C-K and that's the name of it because of rock music. I do not know why I always think that. But then <laughs> I, need to, I need to do like a mental exercise. I think it's R-O-C Music City. And Music City usually comes from Nashville. That's, where, that's how is. I got a connection. Okay, so that's how I got it. So how are you guys doing today? We got Brandon Page here with us today. How is everyone feeling? Uh, this is Brenda, and it's it's great. I'm I'm so excited to be here with you again to continue our conversation. Thank you so much for having us. Oh, it's all a pleasure. Yeah, um, I'm Paige, and it, I mean, yeah, it's been amazing. We're voting here in um, America right now, and early voting in Tennessee. So it's been a busy week, but a wonderful week. Mm-hmm. Just maybe a, qu- a quick one minute, let's say, note about it, because early voting is not something we have in Romania, or at least that I'm aware of to that extent as the U.S. What exactly does it entail? Brenda, you want to take that one? Yeah, so um, early voting, we've got two weeks of voting where our polls are open ahead of the actual voting day. Um, and we don't have every location open, um, but we have, I think, maybe 10 locations around the city and so folks go in and, and just like on election day, you can, you can vote, you can go to any of those open polling locations. Um, I've worked a couple of locations that have had like hour plus waits all day long. And I worked one yesterday that it was in and out within a half an hour. 
So it just totally varies by by state and by region as far as the laws there that go, that happen. Mm-hmm. And what's the main incentive behind this? Just to avoid having long queues at the voting polls in the day, or that too. And a lot of people don't get voter or don't get election day off, so they can't go vote. Ooh. So it's Whoa. good. The more options you have, the more likely you are to get the most people out to vote. Well, that's very mindful, actually. That's very mindful. Well, that was just a curiosity of mine because I think we're going to get some listeners from Romania and I don't think we're very familiar with this concept. So we just got this. But uh, I think, Brenda, you said something so interesting. I didn't know about this. ROC was actually born after 9-11 to help restaurant workers in New York City, you said, right? Yeah. And so it's a worker center model, which is a little different mm-hmm. than a union. Um, we don't do collective bargaining, which unions do. Um, but we are here to help educate our restaurant workers. So part of our, part of our strategy is, is teaching them. And that's on like, um, workplace rights and on, um, on collective bargaining themselves on, on, on the restaurant workers getting together in a group and, and sitting down with the owner and, and bargaining with them. And that's something that we, really haven't seen here in the state so far. A lot of um, any collective bargaining has really been with a union present. Mm-hmm. Okay, I understand. And this came as a concern after 9-11 because, let's say, restaurant workers were in a very sensitive position or what was the incentive behind it? Uh, yeah, uh, because the, the World Trade Centers came down, um, there were several mm-hmm. restaurants in those buildings then that wow. displaced the workers. And then um, New York City was really destroyed for a couple of blocks with all of the ash and debris and everything like that that took a while to clean up. And so mm-hmm. we had displaced restaurant workers that that really just needed some financial assistance. And so Rock started to help out with that. And then they realized that there was more help needed in the industry. So they... Um, started doing classes on, um, you know, fine dining skills and wine and beer and liquor lessons and how to become a server for those folks that were in the back of the house or that, that just had never served before that wanted that education so that they could go in and apply for and get a job and say, you know, I don't have serving experience or I don't have restaurant experience in general, but I have, you know, gone through these courses. And so I have an idea of how to, how to apply and get this job. Mm-hmm. So in the beginning, it might have been something more vocational, oriented into teaching people or? Yeah, they definitely did some vocational with teaching work. And then um, they also started to realize that the restaurant industry is is really unorganized. Um, mm-hmm. And New York City, I don't know if there were um, restaurant unions in New York City at the time. I'm not really educated on that part. But that, um, you know, restaurant work has a lot of transients. People, people come and work at a restaurant for six, eight, 12 months, two years, and then move on to another restaurant. So it's always been harder to organize restaurant workers because they're not, they're not all in the same place all the time. You know, we, we get fired or you move on to another restaurant or anything like that. So it's been really important for Rock United to help stand up for restaurant workers that are taken advantage of. You know, we talked about in the last episode, the low pay and the crazy hours and the not no health insurance and all of that stuff. And so this is a way for restaurant workers to stand up and, and, you know, talk to their owner and say, Hey, all of us have this same concern. What can we do to fix it? Well, well, it makes sense. This reminds me a little bit of, I think what 
international workers of the world were trying to do back in, I mean, this is early 20th century, but but they were basing their model on um, on this idea of unionizing not necessarily heavily skilled and permanent workers, but trying to unionize everyone. And they were especially, I think, focused at the point on migratory labor, labor, if I get this right, people that were moving across states and they were moving to, towards California and more precisely San Francisco to work. And they were able, because they said that, you know, regardless of the field in which you're working, I mean, with rock is a bit more specific. It's for a certain field, but they said that regardless of the field, you are still workers at the end of the day and you might have collective demands. There should be someone to stand up for you. Yeah, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. Is is we are still workers. We are human beings that go to a job and our job shouldn't dictate our life. Yeah. I didn't hear I what you said. Have... I'm sorry. No, I just I just said especially human beings, but I remember I remember this brings us so many so many memories from our last conversation in which I remember Paige Paige was very vocal about this and I and I loved it about how she said so much about how sometimes it's so difficult, you know, to keep up and there's so much stress. And you, Brand, I think, said at the point that maybe you've known only four people that were sober at the job or like yeah. were sober in general. And and this is quite problematic. But I'm very curious actually to hear about, let's say, organizing strategies. If you could share those with us, what does Rock, especially in, in Nashville, how do you guys do with, let's say, motivation, getting people to show up at meetings, trying to get people on board? and uh, organize at the end of the day? I think really, um, cause I mean, that's, I think that's an issue with any organization is, is, mm -hmm. um, turnout, right. I, that's like the yeah. biggest struggle. I think really what it comes down to as far as motivation and stuff is, um, really like kind of appealing to their humanity and reminding them of these moments where you've been treated mm -hmm poorly and terribly by your managers. Um, so I think as far as motivation, that's really where you have to come in and be like, Hey, listen, these things aren't okay. And they're not going to change unless we change them, unless you mm -hmm. change them. So I think motivation, that's typically where we kind of come in at. And, um, truly, I really think people having, like my biggest advice would be giving people direct, um, actions that they can mm -hmm. do to be a part of it. Because if people don't feel like they are actually, physically doing something like they're just at meetings, they, they aren't going to come back. So I think being strong leaders and checking up on things and, um, continuing to like really keep up with people and what they have going on and what they're like quote assigned to is, is just a really good way to keep them motivated. But I know Brenda can talk more about how to get people, how we've tried to get people involved. Yeah, I would say, you know, for us, it's really important that everybody feels heard, that everybody has an opportunity to express themselves. Um, you know, we've all been at those jobs where you've been there for a while and you know the ropes and you know what's going on and you're like, okay, cool. So if we're doing things this way, what if we change this up a little bit and it works a little better and your boss is like, yeah, no, we're not going to do that. And so we don't want to be the boss in that aspect because we are workers. We, we are not the, the, um, we, we're not the boss really. Like this is a democratic organization where, where nobody's voice matters more than, than anybody else's. And we really work to, we're all new at organizing. I think the, the person that has the most experience in organizing is maybe two or three years and, and, uh, Paige, I don't know how many, how long you've been organizing on that aspect. Mm -hmm. 
but but we're all, we're all relatively new and we're all learning and and covid is has thrown a wrench in in everybody's game no matter how long you've been organizing <laughs> Definitely. um because you can't you know go up and knock on doors and and go out and go to bars and sit down and talk to other servers and bartenders and and rally the the cause there and um so yeah it's really important that we sit down and hear everybody out and take everybody's opinion into account when we're planning something. Um, we've done a couple of actions as far as different protests and, um, we did a picket on a business. We started to do a picket on a business and then they gave into our, their employees demands. And so we didn't have to go picket, um, which is really great. It was unfortunate because we were excited about it, but it's great that the, that the boss realized that he was being unreasonable and that, you know, his employees have a right to be in a safe work environment. You don't always get that reasonable boss, I have to say. I've been seeing it quite a lot, <laughs> a lot around my town. And it's very, it's very like, it's so bad because COVID cases, I think since we last talked, uh, have gone up to 4,000 a day and they keep increasing. And and I just saw, a, a, like, just before we got, we went on this call on Facebook, there was a huge advertisement for this local cafe, which said, we're going to have a Halloween party. Get yourself ready. <laughs> a costume is mandatory. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, dude, you are crazy. Like, like, why are you doing this? Like, no one is doing I, I think he just wants to be the only one in town, you know, to be okay. We're having a party finally. But you're putting everyone at risk for this. Yeah. And he's, I'm sure he's not going to be the reasonable guy that you, you just talked about. He's going to be the one that will keep fighting, being like, well, it's my choice. It's my freedom not to wear a mask. And it's the freedom of the people to come to the party. Yeah. We have a lot of those bosses here too. Our <laughs> our downtown Broadway has several of those dudes. Yeah, I'm glad that you guys only have one place because we have an entire street. Oh Jesus. It was <laughs> yeah, well, entire like, like in blocks. <laughs> yeah, we're lucky with only being a very small town of fifteen thousand people. I think we have only one, but you never know when the next one is going to show up, especially with the one has made a call. You know, only one is enough to spread the call and the initiative and all of a sudden you have 20 of them preparing Halloween parties or Halloween themed, I don't know, work sessions or. Yeah. And, you know, that's what has really bothered me. And I had this conversation with somebody very close to me earlier Mm -hmm. this week, and it really, really bothers me because um, the fact of the matter is that people don't look at their servers as people. If they do, it's as subhuman. And honestly, and I had this, like I said, I had this conversation with somebody really close to me and it's hard Mm -hmm. because they said to me like, well, I wear my mask until I sit down. And I was like, okay, but then you're endangering that waitress. And they Mm -hmm. were like, well, they're wearing a mask. A, in case you don't know, and you're listening, that's not how masks work. Um, Mm -hmm. But also I was like, okay, but you're still endangering that waitress because you are breathing out whatever you have. And Yeah. And that mask is for your protection. If you put it on when she came back, that'd be different, but I I know you don't. So um, I was like, you're endangering her, but you don't think about her as a, you know, my, my person I was talking to, I was like, you don't think about them as a person. And that's Mm -hmm. the issue here because I am them and they are me. And then they're going to go home and give it to their family and their family, Mm -hmm. not knowing they have it, they're going to give it to their family and their family is going to give it to other people. And then you're gonna have a breakout in that city, but you were visiting so it doesn't matter to you. Those numbers don't matter to you because you don't connect the fact that you as a tourist are giving it to a bartender who is then going into the community. And that is why you're endangering all of us. If you're letting your servers and bartenders get potentially infected by COVID, you are putting your entire community at risk because they are your community. They are people. Every time I see a new set of restrictions in a city, 
they never include protections for anyone in the restaurant. They include protections for the people going to the restaurant. And then they say, if you don't want to go out without a mask, then just don't go out. But someone has to serve those drinks. And that Mm -hmm. person doesn't get to control other people wearing masks because they say we can't. That's fair point. Yeah, it's happening here as well. (laughs) No, it happens here as well quite a lot. This was, I think there's a lot of social pressure on the moment you enter the restaurant. And I don't know, I think we behave, we behave like children, honestly, in those regards. We, we want to be so, I don't know, how can I say this? We, We want to be so strong, so powerful to show that, you know, the COVID cannot touch us and we don't want to follow government regulations. But the moment we enter a restaurant, we're like, okay, masks off, you know, government says I can stay here without a mask. I'm like, you should give it a second thought. You know, you've been giving second thoughts, not wearing masks in public. Why not give a second thought, you know, maybe wearing it at least for thinking, maybe I should wear it in the restaurant where it's packed usually. And when you actually have servers, you know, moving around you, as you just said. Yeah. And that, that's what bothers me is, is mm-hmm. I get that once you sit down, you think that all of a sudden you have an immunity to COVID, which is also not <laughs> yeah. how it works. Or if you're in Nashville and bars can't, bars have to close at 1030. The joke has been like, COVID can't get you after 1030. Um, <laughs> <Yes>. and... <laughs> the same in France. I just, I just saw, I just saw such a funny meme. Actually, it was, uh, I think uh, Emmanuel Macron just said, I think in Paris right now, or maybe in the entire France after 9 PM, you cannot ho- host house parties. So there was this meme about, you know, up until 8.59, your apartment is so nice. It's so lovely. After 9 p.m., our apartment is so nice. And I know what they're, what they're trying to do is admirable, in my opinion. You know, they're trying to, yeah. um, trying to be like, okay, so this is going to keep people from, from going out. And, and it definitely is working. It's just all very frustrating because I just mm. I really feel like servers are never taken into account with these laws. And or with well, these restrictions. I say not only servers, but the rest of the people that work in the restaurant too, right? Like your back of house people, your bartenders, your dishwashers that are often in a really humid room with water spraying everywhere. And we know these virus particles hang out in the air, you know what I mean? And so mm-hmm. it's just like, what are we doing to these, the people that work in these restaurants and, and the homes that they go to, right? Like here in Tennessee, if you, if you turn a job down, you get kicked off unemployment. So you have to work something. Otherwise, our government's not going to help take care of us right now in this middle of a, of a huge crisis. Mm-hmm. And that's why, you know, that's why we really started Rock, because us as restaurant workers know the shortcuts that restaurants take on a regular basis and seeing that we weren't issued any mandates or our, 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 our CDC had put a plan together and Trump's team said, no, we're not going to do that. Um, we're just going to issue guidelines. Well, we've seen what happens when restaurants cut corners all of the time. You know, like one of the one of the restaurants that we worked in is a local German restaurant here. And um, somebody got COVID and reached out to us um, mm-hmm. and had followed up with their friends that they'd worked with to make sure that the manager had had done the contact tracing and reached out to those close contacts and said, hey, go get testing. And the manager had literally told people, do not go get tested unless I tell you to. Mm-hmm. Whoa. Do not go get tested unless I tell you to, which we have free testing right now. So everybody should go get tested all of the time. Well, yeah, that tells a lot about, about how restaurants are, 
are cutting corners. Is this the right way to use this idiom? Because I, I have problems with idioms in English. Okay. No, that's yeah, that was right. <laughs> Thank you. Vocabulary English lesson on the podcast. <laughs> Sorry. Listen, no. you've been doing great. <laughs> I'm oh, not thank even. You. <laughs> thank you. I'm trying my best. But actually, thinking about COVID and organizing, um, since we actually felt it very, very, very different, uh, very differently. I mean, very heavily as well at at Bowdoin with Bowdoin Labor Alliance. Bowdoin Labor Alliance basically tried to help a lot. We've set the mutual aid fund at a point in time, which which was something kind of illegal to do, but we did it. Uh, some of my mm-hmm. colleagues did it actually. I was not very much involved with that, but they were able to do it to help some people in the community. But afterwards, we realized that we were very much affected and most of our organizing actually went online. And one of the main, I think, challenges we've been having was getting people to show up, you know, and getting people to respect the responsibilities they said they will. And this has usually meant us sending messages over and over and over again. And I remember, I think I was talking to Brenda about this. I was uh, saying that I have a reminder to send a message. I have a reminder to respond to a message. And I have a reminder put to send a message after that message in case I don't get a response. I think we reached that point. And I'm very curious, how do you guys do with this, deal with this? Like, is it a lot of work to actually make people to show up or people usually show up more naturally as rock? Hmm. Yeah, we've got... um you know, it's the same. We're, we're in a really hard time right now for everybody emotionally and mentally. And I mean, 2020 is just thrown curveballs every, every time you look around. And so, (laughs) um, you know, we have a small core group that comes to all of our meetings. We have a meeting, um, every Monday night and we do it over zoom. And so we've got a small core group that comes to that, and, um, we have other members that are, that are activists that like, if we were like, Hey, we're doing this thing, they would definitely show up. Mm-hmm. Um, but from everything that I've learned and, and everybody that I've talked to, um, in, in other rock chapters and affiliates across the country, it seems to be the same way. They have a small core group that does their organizing and they mm-hmm. have other folks that are members that, that are ready to mobilize when, when there's an action or something going on. Mm-hmm. But yeah, to your point on following up, there's there's just a lot of following up on that aspect and just really, you know, being mindful of of the place that people are in mentally and emotionally. And we've also had this conversation with everybody to like not take on more than you can chew. And if you if you know that your plate is really full already to just, you know, not volunteer to do something that you don't have the capacity for so that we can know that it can actually get done. Um, because we found that, that we have a lot of ideas that we want to do. And then it just, you know, it takes a little longer to get them done than we think it will just because of, of life and life planning. And, and most people are back at work now. Very true. Yeah, I've been I've been feeling this on my own actually. It's uh, mm-hmm. I think it's such a tendency because uh, this might be a bit a bit more of a personal story. But before I applied to college, I knew that I had to have a lot of things to show in my resume and stuff like this. So I would always throw myself like blindly into anything that was there for me, like anything, you know. And uh, mm-hmm. and at the point, you know, it was manageable because it was only high school volunteering stuff, and it was not. Uh, intense in any way but then when I did the same in college my first semester I was like wow this is way different man and I really have too much on my plate and I understand maybe my incentive is good but sometimes we should understand that maybe it's time to step back a bit 
let someone do it, or maybe leave it, leave it you know, for next semester when someone has time to do it. Because yeah, I think, okay. that's, I think that's an issue with organizers, uh, <laughs> just generally, <laughs> is we're all just like, yeah. I want to do all the things, and I want to, uh, you know, you just can't at some level. That is very true, yeah. And it's hard I'm, to actually accept it. I think this is the hardest part. You think that we think that we can do all of them. We think, oh, I, I can do the podcast. I can invite people on the podcast. I can edit the podcast. I can share the podcast. But maybe I can just record a podcast, you know, and I should be okay <laughs> with it. Yeah, I think the really cool thing that we're seeing, though, is I mean, because I felt that guilt too of, oh my gosh, I need to do yeah. this, and oh my gosh, this is another great cause that's really important, and and this thing over here is really important too. Um, and we kind of get in that feeling where like, you know, we know all of these things need to change right now. We've got so much implicit bias that's going on in, in our life here, our policing, our, our judicial system, our political system. Um, mm. and, and there's so many things that just need to change. The cool thing is that, that we've learned through organizing and, and coalition building with other organizations here in Nashville is, is like I've learned to kind of let some of those things go because there are other really awesome people who are standing up and fighting for the thing that they're really passionate for too. Um, mm-hmm. And so knowing that, you know, one person can't be responsible to fix everything. And so kind of letting that, that thought process go and holding on to the thought process of mm-hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to work really hard at this thing that, that I that I'm invested in right now. And I'll put a little bit of time to these other things and be an activist for these other causes instead of being an organizer for these other causes. Well, let us take a little break actually, and let us relax, stretch, drink some water, because I also want to express some gratitude to the people that have contributed to this podcast, to thank Paige and Brenda once again for taking their time to talk to us, because they've made they made me feel so at home and the world that I encountered when talking to them has just been amazing. And I really hope I'm going to be able to go and visit them once one day in Nashville. But up until then, I'm really thankful for you guys. And apart from that, everyone at BLA. And very importantly for today, I would like to dedicate actually this episode to my dear friends who had to leave Colorado due to the fire that started there. I'm very sorry to hear that. Uh, my heart is with you, honestly, and I just hope it's going to get there. So hang in there. Enjoy the rest of the podcast. started ROC I had to kind of make that line I was like I need to I need to be able to just be an organizer here or be a um be a activist I've gotten more into organizing with it because I I felt such a passion for it but Brenda remembers when I first started I specifically said do not (laughs) make me into don't put me in a position where I need to be an organizer because I don't want to do it I can't do it I have too many things and now I'm like I guess I got some time (laughs) <laughs> she keeps calling so. me and saying what what am I doing this week what do you need me to do this week 
<laughs> it's so nice to not be in charge. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel that actually not being in charge is sometimes so relieving. You know, you don't have to think about what someone should be doing, and you just get you are just given instructions. Because I'm just actually writing an article right now for a newspaper at my school, and someone is just giving me instructions, and I'm like just a puppy. You know, I'm like, okay, I'll do it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> But if I were to think about it, I would have to, maybe it should be this way, maybe in two weeks, but no, give me a firm deadline, I'll do it, man. <laughs> but I'm also very curious, guys. Um, I think I think we at BLA tend to be a bit optimistic, actually, about the future, and we are going to return, most of us, we are actually, we should return back to campus in the spring semester. So we hope we're going to see some of the organizing happening in person from now on. But uh, how do you feel about actually organizing maybe four months from now or five months from now? Because saying when the pandemic is over, I think that might be a, a bit of a stretch since we yeah. don't know when we're going to get the vaccine. But uh-huh. how do you think the future of organizing will look for you? The immediate future, more precisely. Yeah, I don't know. And that's something that I've mm-hmm. been turning over in my head for for quite a while. Um, I really mm-hmm. love big picture things and putting the pieces together on that, you know, and just knowing that probably around 30% of restaurants have closed already. And don't quote me on that number officially. I don't I don't wow. know it right off the top of my head, but wow. but I've also seen 30%. Yeah. That, yeah. Wow. Um, and I've also seen a report from um the National Restaurant Association, is that right, Paige? The NRA, not the gun NRA, but the restaurant NRA. That sounds right. Um, that has said that by the end of the year, maybe 40% of, of the rest of the restaurants will close too. So I don't know what that means for Rock as far as organizing and, and moving forward on that aspect. And so, you know, our philosophy is just to take it day by day and week by week and to. Mm-hmm just go, go as we see it. You know, it's, it's hard to make long-term plans right now when our government has been so reckless with, um, with people's lives and livelihoods. Mm -hmm. True. What about you, Paige? Do you have any thoughts about the future or? I mean, (laughs) I, I really think, uh, COVID has given us such a unique position, you know, to, Mm-hmm. To, to be able to give this much energy to organizing and yeah. and that way I'm I, I am thankful for the amount of change it's allowed us to pursue um, but I of course wouldn't trade that for everything else that's happened because of it um, I would trade yeah I get I think that was the right way to say that um anyway um, but I think uh, the, what we've gotten to do now and the way that we've been treated as far as restaurant workers during this has opened the eyes of a lot of people. You know, when you're, um, when your job that you were just so loyal to, that you were afraid you would get fired if you organized that just drops you and, mm-hmm. and doesn't offer any support, doesn't offer any security or a come, even like a return date yeah. when they just completely forget you like that. Yeah. I think it opens a lot of eyes for people to be like, oh, I've been here for five years. I thought that I was like never taking a day off because I was loyal to them because they were loyal to me, which is a weird mindset we have. I don't know if it's everywhere else, but I know America has a weird mindset of like, you owe something to your employer for employing you, Mm -hmm. which is not true. It's not. You don't owe them anything. And they need you in order to work. Yes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, so I, I think I, I personally have had a lot of conversations where 
we were, I think I mentioned this last podcast, but we were working on a, a lawsuit against um, this big organization that owns like 13 or so restaurants in Nashville and bars. Um, and they're awful. And we were working on a, a wage theft lawsuit against them. And we're pretty close to the end of it. And I, I can't, I don't think I can actually speak on it, but it's going positively. And uh, I messaged some of my old coworkers about it and they were just like, yeah, I should have joined. I was just so scared of losing my job and retribution. And I was like, well, legally they can't do that, but they did do it to one of our organizers. And what? Whoa. yeah, it certainly didn't help them in that case. But anyway, but they're like, I see now, like they, they, you know, they were telling me how that specific location had um, furloughed all of them since March, not given them any information, not helped them at all. And then when they reopened, they didn't call them back and they didn't, none of it. And you know, they were like, I should have got on there. I should have signed on. Like they weren't worth being loyal to like that. Like, I, I feel like I regret it. And I'm like, good, good. Next time you have the chance to stand up against a boss that you know yeah. is stealing your wages, do it. Yeah. No, I hope no, that's I, where we're going. No, no, th this is true. I think, I, I hope. I don't know, you know, because uh, in this regards, I, I wish I would have had also a clearer answer because my mom, my mom is also a trade unionist here in my local town and uh, a labor, a labor unionist, sorry. Um, and, and one of the aspects we we're talking about was would actually people now with so much, so much for, for logging, how do you say that? For logging? For logging, that's right. Yeah. For logging. Okay. Thank you. For logging <laughs> happening, would people actually become more radical and actually push for change and demand and stand up or would they actually become more docile? And I'm very um, curious. So for me personally, it made me more radical. Um, I'd always been interested in politics and, and all sorts of stuff, but like I had worked at least two jobs my whole entire adult life. Um, wow. because I, I couldn't afford to, to live with just one job. And yeah. so, you know, having a furlough and sitting down and it was the first time that I had a chance to sit down and think about, well, okay, what are my values? What do I believe in? What, yeah. what, what do I do? Where does this go? And, you know, like I mentioned earlier about seeing how, how restaurants would take shortcuts, my job you know, and, and I know that nobody knew what to expect. Right. But the lack of communication from, from my employer to myself and my coworkers on what's mm -hmm. going on, like they could have at least said, Hey, we don't know. I would have so much more respect if somebody was like, we don't know, we're just planning right now. But, but we have this idea that everybody has to have the right answer all the time. And that mm -hmm. just puts us up for, you know, it puts us up for a lot of mess because nobody's ever a hundred percent. Right. Um, and so, you know, we, we spent this, me and my coworkers spent this whole summer waiting to hear back, like what's going on. Are we going to get to keep our health insurance? Are they going to take our health insurance away? Like we had no idea. And then my employer opened up earlier this month in October and they were only brought back a limited number of staff. So some people got letters of, of separation before other people or not separation, but an extended furlough before other people. And we're all talking about this on our Facebook group saying, you know, Oh, I got a letter. Did you get a letter? And some people were like, no, I have no idea. And so we had no idea who was going to be called back and who wasn't. And we didn't have an option to have a conversation about, yes, I want to come back to work or no, I would like to stay home. Well, 
I think it, it really increases the the anxiety level. And I I don't know for me it's I think I look at I think I look at restaurant workers and service workers a bit differently after having this conversation with you. Like I might have understood there was a lot of anxiety, especially when seeing servers taking a smoke break. But now I understand there is a lot more anxiety at play. <laughs> you see and, somebody smoke four cigarettes in a row in like a 10 minute <laughs> period. It's like, oh, that's stressful. <laughs> yeah. And, and now knowing about all of those and all of those tactics, you know, I, I don't know. I think I think the moment I'm going to enter a restaurant again, I, I probably am going to pray for the people and be very thankful and be like, OK, I'm so thankful and and all of this. But what about you, Paige? Actually, what do you think with um, with the radicalization of people? Do you think people are heading towards more radical, demanding more change and more power to the workers? Or do you think some of them are becoming even more docile due to the fact that they're not sure if they're going to get a job ever again or anytime soon? I 100% think people are getting more radical for that exact reason Um, because I've seen it. Yeah, I think the reason of we don't know when we're going to come back, we don't know, you know, what's going on. And I do want to say just really quickly about that is I was working, working like two to three jobs in the service industry is super normal. I was working three when I got furloughed from all of them. Yeah. Um, Plus, I I run my own production company, video production company. So like I was working three jobs and doing that. What? <laughs> yeah. And like we do, we work with non, like I, I was volunteering to not to like toot my own heart. I just do it. I do too much. And uh, I can't say <laughs> things. Uh, do, do you guys have time even to relax? I'm sorry for asking this. No. Is there any, oh, no. I'm sorry. No, what is relaxation? <laughs> and to Paige's point too, for a, for, for a minute, there are a lot of restaurants will keep people on part time so that they don't have to offer health insurance. So you have to have more than one job because you might only get 10 to 15 hours. I'm not allowed to go over 40 hours of work at two of the places. And the other place, I couldn't possibly get 40 hours because it's part-time and it's seasonal. But I want to say with that, where I was going with that is, um, I do want to say that some bosses have been very good. And I'm not like a a boss. I don't like usually love managers, but I, I was actually talking to one of my managers from one of those jobs, Buddy Richardson, shout out Buddy. He's been incredible. Mm-hmm. I've worked with him for three years seasonally. And I was just mm-hmm. messaging him today and we work at a baseball field mm-hmm. and uh, it's, it's already like, <laughs> you never know what you're going to get day to day there. But he was so, 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 so communicative with us. And mm-hmm. he updated us on like, like weekly, bi-weekly, every time he knew something, we knew something. And um, the amazing. baseball field was broken down because of the tornado right before COVID. So we weren't even sure that we were going to get when we were going to go back anyway. And um, so he was very communicative. I actually was messaging him because they opened a new place there that was looking for bartenders Mm -hmm. a while back and they had their staff now, but we were just messaging about COVID and he was just so sweet and understanding and helpful with Mm -hmm. everybody. And so there are good managers out there that are doing the right things. He's always fought for us, but I also want to make the point that buddy is not the majority. He is the minority. He is a great, 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 great manager who cares about his staff so deeply. But I have seen maybe three managers like that ever who put their staff before the owners. And so I think um, that kind of behavior from managers of um, even the good ones, I think it radicalizes us because we see what it could be like. You know, and and so I I honestly, I think everybody's going to get a little more radical because they realize that their owners and their managers do not care about them. They are just a they're they're just a worker. You were just a mm-hmm. uniform to them. Yeah, yeah this, I've this been told several 
Oh, so, sorry. sorry. Go ahead, Brenda. No, it was. I've been told several times in my life that you know we're just dispensable servers and bartenders and you know yeah. dishwashers and kitchen folks and all of that. We're a dime a dozen, and so you know if if we're not happy with our job, we can go find another one. You know, there's <laughs> not a what can we do to make this better? What can we do to be a better company to work for? There's I've not that kind before. of incentive here. Yeah, I've been told before, like, there's a stack of resumes in my office. If you don't like it here, I can call one of them. <laughs> so, go ahead. The the brutal reality. This is, uh, <laughs> this is I don't even know where, what to put the, you know, I don't even know how to call this. I think, I think it's so much present in our culture. And uh, I mean, there is a bit of an age gap between, between all three, all three of us, especially between me and you and Paige and Brenda, but uh but even amongst my people of my age, actually, one one thing I notice so much, and I see it on LinkedIn. I, f- I think LinkedIn is the the personification personification of this. When you get a job, it's huge. You know, everyone gets so excited, so crazy about it. It's like it's I don't know. You kind of try. You, it's almost like survival. It's, it's like a battle. You know, you fight to get a job, and mm-hmm. then you have to hold on it with your teeth so much. And then if you don't like it, you know, and maybe you have some concerns. Well, the manager or the boss can tell you, well, I have 500 more resumes in my office. I can call them tomorrow and they'll be here and they'll be the ones posting on LinkedIn that, oh yeah, I got a job and you'll be the one without it. And it's quite sad that we reach this point, honestly, where there is so much insecurity about jobs. And when you get a job, you know, you must feel just so grateful. I mean, yeah, you should feel grateful, but I think it reaches a point of toxicity where you just become blind almost. I totally agree. Yeah. I've always had more of a mindset of like, yeah. you know what, like if you are going to act like that, I can find another restaurant job and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm 25. And maybe that's why it's like, it's never been, um, I've worked in mm-hmm. restaurants long enough and I'm still like, you know, cause it, it sucks and it shouldn't be like this, but there are prejudices in hiring in restaurants. And I know mm-hmm. that I'm a, like, I'm a small white girl. And so mm-hmm. uh, like, I just know people will hire me quickly at bars on Broadway. Okay. And that sucks that it's like that, but it's kind of like, it makes it where if I, I I think, I don't think I'm in the majority here, but I really, Mm -hmm. while I am scared of job security, when it comes to restaurants, in my opinion, they're all bad for the most part, which is what we're trying to change. (laughs) They're usually pretty rough to work at. Um, So if you're going to treat me really bad, like I can just go get treated bad in different ways somewhere else. (laughs) Yeah. And that's the cynicism. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> that's something that that rock is really trying to work on and, and push forward is to really like challenge restaurants on that implicit bias that they have in hiring and um really work on making sure that that people are that people are taken care of that that we um, i don't know where my brain was trying to go with that it started something yeah, really great and then it stopped yeah, it's inherently sexist in, in the ways of like not hiring men because you think you'll get more tips or more people will come in because there's women there. But it's also sexist because you – I mean those women are being harassed. We're being objectified. We're being sexualized. We're trying to – and that's a big part of what we're trying to do with ROC. Brenda, I think this is kind of where you were going, so I'm going to try to take it there. Thanks, that um, is. You keep going. Okay. <laughs> uh, we're trying to end that inherent um, systemic discrimination in that way. Um, gender discrimination is – it's, it's insane. And, you know, like I I'm speaking from a place of being a woman, but I also know that it's, it's even worse for trans women and men. Um, 
like much worse, you know, and, and it doesn't stop at women. It happens with men. Like I was talking about not getting hired. Um, my partner actually where he he used to work, um, they wouldn't promote him to this other part of the restaurant because, and I quote, we only put women there. Well, so it's, it's there, you know, and I've been told before, like, well, we really only want men behind the bar. Yeah, I and I've seen. <laughs> I'm sorry, I've I'm seen a, bit, a lot I'm a bit of speechless about this. I, I, I don't know. Please go ahead with it, Brenda. I'm just. I was gonna like... say I've seen a lot of you know servers and bartenders, um, uh, like people of color servers and bartenders that um, their customers will say, "I want a white server." Mm-hmm. I have a really what? lovely Egyptian friend that I worked with um, at one of my restaurants, and he, he always was tipped less than no than most people would would tip yeah no he was always tipped less and people were rude to him and people would like be like i can't understand you and he he's not like like he has an accent but it's yeah. not any worse than your accent is you know and so it's yeah. it's this just inherent um this inherent racism that that has happened to our society is it just permeates everything, you know, even down to who you want to be your server at your table. What? And it goes further than that. Like we're just talking about racism and sexism right now, but like we could, I know we don't have like all the, we don't have like, if we had like six hours, we could sit here and dive into how deep that racism goes, how deep that sexism goes, how deep it goes with, um, what is the word I'm looking for here? Um, sexual orientation. Um, Mm-hmm. how far that goes with that because some people don't want anyone that's a gay person or lgbtq plus person to touch their food what oh the i've f- had that i'm so sorry i've yeah. had that no that's fine i mean it's it's absurd your reaction is absolutely like uh what correct the fuck is this like I'm yeah so like sorry. if they know you're, you're a lesbian or you're gay or if they knew you were bi which i don't even yeah so they don't want what? those people and it goes into ageism you know some people want a young a young person with um, a restaurant I worked at when I first started here that's owned yeah. by the people we have a lawsuit against. I won't even drop the name, but okay. they would um, specifically um, give bachelor parties to young women and bachelorette parties to the young men to make okay. more money. What the heck? Well, this, this okay. We need to keep this conversation going, maybe in future episodes, because no, I'm I'm just, I'm just mesmerized. You know, like I'm I'm completely. I didn't know that someone could actually come to a restaurant and say, "I would love a white server." They're not supposed yeah. to be able to, but the problem is, is that a lot of managers are too afraid to stand up to people because the they'll leave a bad review and the owners will get mad at them. Right? It's what a chain of command problem. But tying that all back in, those are the things that ROC. I want to, I don't want to speak for ROC, um, like national, but ROC music city, these are big, big issues that we're seeking to, to fix, to help. So these are actually big issues. So those are happening like not only one place, one time, once a year. No, no, those go on. Uh, Okay. Well, I'm being, I'm being shocked by this, you know, I'm so sorry. My reaction probably is a bit too much, but no, they're great. (laughs) Really not comprehending how you have. I used to have like a stack of weird notes men had left me. What? Yeah, I, um, I'm a 35 year old woman. And last fall I, um, 
dropped a drink off at an older gentleman's table and he was my table and we had talked and it was fine. And I turned around and walked away and he said, thanks little girl. And I was so glad that I wasn't looking him in the face because I have this thing where my face just shows everything that's happening in my head at the time. (laughs) And I really, I really wanted to look at him and be like, you don't, you don't know me. Like I, I am not like a small child yeah. That's not something that you say to somebody that is not a small child in your family. I had a man um, at the baseball field with his buddies. He was like older than my dad. And he called me baby, which is like a real pet peeve for me. And mm-hmm. I like told him that like you're not allowed to call me that. And his friends kind of gave him shit and he apologized. But then at the end of the night when he was leaving, I, I was like, all right, baby, have a good night. <laughs> and I hope he learned his lesson there. But it also had a 70-year-old man at Cracker Barrel tell me that if he was 40 years younger, he would be, and I quote, courting me. Okay. <laughs> Stuff like that's common. Um, and I had an agent come up to me and be like, my, my guy over here was like the star baseball player for this team. And like, he thinks you're attractive. And I was like, and here's his number. And I was like, are you kidding me? He Whoa. can't come give me his number. I mean, I wouldn't want it, but like, he <laughs> It was so weird. Yeah, maybe, maybe we could do like a, a very like after maybe another episode on on, on sexism <laughs> and racism. Maybe we can do like a bonus fu- uh, funny episode on how to actually, if it's possible, to court someone in a restaurant in a very nice way. I don't know, guys. Just don't do just, it. Okay, just yeah. Just ask. Okay, bonus episode was ended. <laughs> yeah, short episode. How to do it? Don't. <laughs> just don't do it. Yeah, because this this is so romanticized in films, you know. And and I have, I have to be honest, you know, it it crossed my mind. I think once in the past or something to leave a nice note for someone like I don't not my number, but like a compliment, like you look very pretty or something. But only now I realize that 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 might be actually understood as, or that might not be appropriate. First of all, you know, because it comes may, maybe it comes with a good intention from you or from other bodies, just as a compliment. But from others, it comes as a place of objectification. Yeah, because you got to remember, they're at work. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, it's not, you wouldn't say it to somebody if you worked in an office with them, probably. Exactly. Exactly. Well, this was, I'm so sorry, towards the end of the episode, I actually had some very strong reactions, but I think I was so (laughs) sleepy when I went to this, because it's quite late for me, it's almost 2 a.m., but by the moment, he told me that there was actually people that can reject having a person of color serving them food or a lesbian serving them food or a gay person. I was just completely shocked. You know, like I was, yeah. what the heck is going on in this world, <laughs> man? Because I, I thought we were already past that point, but it seems like we're not. And it's very sad. No, but, That's why RSC uh, is here. Yeah. And it should, it should continue going strong. Honestly, we are very supportive at BLA of ROC and we talk a lot. I mean, uh, I'm the only one that had contact with you guys directly, but I love telling people about, uh, or people from Tennessee, from Nashville, Tennessee. That's how I react. I'm sorry for to you. Oh, um, I love it. <laughs> when I tell about your actions, uh, they're very proud of it. But honestly, I think we should keep this conversation going maybe anytime you have time because I think sexism and racism in the service industry needs to be addressed because uh, honestly, I never thought of it, I have to say. I never thought of it because I don't think I ever referred to someone or reacted to someone's accent a bit I don't know, outrageous, maybe ask them what they said again. But this was a problem with me coming to the United States because I didn't understand U.S. accents for quite some time. Yeah, um, <laughs> uh, yeah actually, it was a huge problem. I got to say to you, okay, this is like a last comment. But when I came to Boston, when I arrived in Boston, and someone put this very thick Bostonian accent, <laughs> lost, completely lost. I was looking at the guy mesmerized, and he said, uh, everything okay? I said, yeah, yeah, 
I'm sure. I got I got your message. I had no clue what he was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> and it still happens. It still happens. But now I think I'm getting the gist of it and I'm getting a bit better at it. But Brendan Page, thank you so much for being here with us one more time. It was so lovely talking to you. And honestly, I wish you all the best with The Rock. I think you guys are doing amazing work. And yeah. I think the service industry needs to change. And I really hope workers are going to get more radicalized. And I just want to give a heads up to maybe people that are a bit more conservative and are listening. You know, workers getting radicalized doesn't mean that they're going to burn the country. They mean It means that they're just going to stand up for themselves a bit more. You know, and actually demand some things that should have been given to them, which I think all of us want. So thank yeah. you guys one more time. Honestly, it was so lovely talking to you. Always a pleasure, honestly. Always the biggest. It was it was the biggest thing. I was it was like the loveliest thing I was looking forward to the day. I was like, when is it gonna be finally two a.m. one a.m. Sorry to talk to Brenda and Paige. Of <laughs> course. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much for having us. It's really such a pleasure to get to talk to you and and to kind of spread this message about what needs to change and how it's changing. Yeah, thank you so much, too. And then for those of you listening, um, check out our website at rockrocmusiccity.org. Or um, if you're not here in Tennessee, we've got rockunited.org is our um, parent organization. And we'd love to hear from y'all and... um, you know, check in and keep the conversation going because things won't change until we talk about it. Yeah. ROC Music City on Instagram and Facebook. Follow us and feel free to send us a message a message if you have questions about your rights or what you can do or if something's okay. Even something small, like we're happy to talk to you about it and give you some reassurance and some resources. Okay. Yeah. Thank you one more time. We we were left porch since our podcast finally has a name. And mm-hmm. um, and we are very thankful to have all of you listening to us tonight or today, depending on the time zone in which you are. Uh, thank you so much and cannot wait to talk to you soon, guys. And cannot wait to show you guys a new episode. Actually. Thanks. Have a great night. Get some rest. Have a great I'll do it. I'll do it. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Listen to the end, thank you. But you probably have heard Brenda say that I should get some rest at a point, and there said good night to me. Well, this episode was recorded at 1 a.m. in the morning, Romanian time, because since COVID, I had to relocate back home in order to finish my classes and all of my courses have been moved online. So, if you want to support our hard work and for all of us that actually stay up all night to finish classes and to work on such projects because of the time difference, please consider sharing this podcast to your friends, consider sharing it with your family and also with your biggest enemies. Make them, you know, make them send us emails. Make them send us angry emails about unions and about progressive stuff and how they don't identify this because those are conversations we should be having. We should be having those very, very tough conversations try to bring people on board. The progressive boat has space for all of us. And I think all of us could come into it if we adhere to the viewpoints that are actually shared in this podcast. Most of them, which are actually just, which can actually just be reduced to one, which is respect. Thank you so much. Go vote if you haven't. Have a good night. Oh, I was about to forget about this, but the music, as always, is composed by Lobo Loco. 
search Move for Music Archive. Thank you so much for this Lobo Loco. I hope I'm gonna send you an email one day. I keep forgetting about that. Have a good day. <laughs>